0: After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Thanks for joining us. This is an episode from our back catalog, so the episode numbers and firm name may have changed, but this is quality information, so instead of scrapping them, we decided it was more important to make sure you still had access. Enjoy the episode and listen to new episodes of David vs. Goliath at dolmanlaw.com.
1: Welcome to the Dolman Law Group podcast. I'm Matt Dolman. I'm here with the esteemed trial Lore Jim Magazine board-certified civil trial Lore. How are you? Good to see you. It's been a long time. So I know you're involved in in a project that's on a national level. You're litigating opiate cases. Tell us a little
2: about that. Well, so I got involved with the national opiate litigation team, probably around 2016. Okay, and as I was traveling around the country, getting cities and counties to you know sign up with us, I noticed just what an incredible problem this was, and I looked at it and I thought. These are some of the greatest medical malpractice cases I've ever seen. So then what I did was I looked for some partners in some different states and found a great partner in Illinois. And we've kind of branched this firm nationwide Okay, just doing opiate overdose cases.
1: So take me through that. What's... What are you looking for? What are the elements of an opiate overdose case? I mean, just simple, somebody's
2: prescribed opiates
1: and they overdose on, is not, it's not
2: obviously so, bad. So what we look for, Matt, is this. The first thing we'll look for is the reason for the opiates and then whether the reason is justifiable. Okay. And so I'll give you a good example. So we're litigating a case up in um, Chicago right now where nice lady 41 years old, had low back surgery, Okay, but she was a pulmonary patient. She had a lot of pulmonary issues, COPD, and she had um, asthma all over her medical records. And she had some anxiety that went along with that. And so her pulmonary, her pulmonologist was prescribing her what are called benzodiazepines. Sure. Okay. Those benzodiazepines relax you. I mean, like Valium, Soma. And Xanax. what happens. Exactly. Yeah. It's, but what happens is, is, if you look at that, those also do another thing. They inhibit your breathing. Okay. okay? So she gets referred to a pain management doctor. Mm-hmm. The pain management doctor refu- reviews all of the medical records that she has, reviews all the medicine she's on. He's totally aware of her COPD and her asthma, and he prescribes her morphine oxies and a fentanyl patch three of the most powerful drugs we have and all three of those also slow your breathing sure so what happens is she takes the medicine as prescribed and her dad comes or her husband comes into our office crying and he says all she did was take the medicine like the doctor prescribed her and she stopped breathing at night and so that's those are the cases that we have and so we look all over the country for the abuse of this because if you look at some of this stuff like fentanyl, mm-hmm. okay, which has been in the news a lot, which has been, in, but that's sure. the car fentanyl coming from you know, that's the stuff coming from China. But we're talking the, the fentanyl that's prescribed to you, okay. And what is the reason that we're prescribing fentanyl as a pain to a pain patient? That's the stuff that we're given right now, that's taking the place of morphine on the battlefield. Okay, so if I have somebody that has a non-surgical herniated disc, why in the world is this doctor prescribing them a fentanyl patch? What's the justification? And there really isn't. And then what happens is that that person becomes an addict. Mm -hmm. And sooner or later, the body just gives in and they pass away. Why are doctors doing that? Money, Mm -hmm. money. It's yes. all about I money. Mean, the answer I just wanted yeah. you to spell it out for It's us. all about money, man.
1: So, are you looking for over prescriptions or prescriptions that don't meet the actual uh, clinical presentation? Or yeah.
2: I mean, we look for what we look
1: for is in
2: in Illinois. It's really unique because they have what's called the prescription database.
1: And just for those who are listening, Jim Magazine is a Florida lawyer. I am a Florida uh, lawyer. board certified by the by the Florida Bar and the National Board of Trial Advocates. But he also has a firm in Illinois. We you do make agree. sure that we're
2: clear on that. We do have. Yes, exactly yes. right. Go on. And so we have what's called the Illinois Prescription Database, okay? Which is unique because in Florida, our legislature blocked lawyers from being able to get that. Okay, so the the database shows me every single prescription that my client would have would have filled, and the doctor that you know prescribed that medicine. Then we're able to go to the toxicology report. And look in there and match what's there. Okay. And if it matches, we start the process. Okay. Okay. And so we have experts all over the country in, you know, addictionology, pain management. We have a pharmacy expert. Uh, and so we put these experts together and we get all the medical records. And if we get an opinion that, you know, this is a case that this person shouldn't have died, which they all shouldn't have died. Sure then we proceed. What about in the states where you don't have that access to that information? So it becomes difficult then because then we have to, we have to, hopefully we have a family member that can tell us where they're getting them. And we have to do that in litigation then okay. because we can't get those records outside of litigation. Um, but we, we're very fortunate, you know, in Ohio, we're able to get them. We're just starting with you in Massachusetts. Yep. So we're trying to branch this out because this is an epidemic it's not getting any better it's you're seeing worse. the same usual players though the same doctors the same themselves own the same pain mills and, and we probably we have a we have uh one doctor up in illinois right now that i think we have four cases for and and they all they're all overdosed and okay. he's the one that you know he changes the cause of death on the death certificate every single time to, so uh, oh to a heart attack or uh, uh, anything other than opiate and, you know something that's disgusting. dealing with opiates. it's disgusting so, you're seeing the same repeat offenders, though? Over. see a lot of the same repeat offenders. We see doctors that go outside of their specialty. We, we have a case now, uh, a gentleman who had cancer in 2004, neck and throat cancer. Okay. They did radiation and chemotherapy. Okay. So, in the cancer world, if the person shows no signs of cancer after five years, they're deemed cancer-free. Okay. And the standard... In the cancer world is then you see the oncologist maybe once a quarter, once every six months, so or sure once a year. In Just to assure you're in remission. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the cancer doctor really doesn't become the pain management doctor. So this gentleman, this this doctor went totally outside his scope because the gentleman had what's called fibrotic pain, which is consistent with radiation. He was prescribing him 2,000 oxys a month. This being the oncologist? Uh, this being the oncologist. Okay. And there were intervals in, in this gentleman's history where he would have an overdose, he would be in a hospital, they would send him to pain management, the pain management doctor would call the oncologist, tell him when he comes back, this is what you need to prescribe and get him back in to see me. And he would just disregard those orders. Now, the interesting part about it is, is that the pain or the oncology center is owned by an umbrella that owns the pharmacy. Oh, and so this was the only pharmacy that would fill those prescriptions. And,
1: there you got the, uh, right? the motivation. And it goes incentives. right back to money. So when we look at these cases, you're looking at what, fo- what are the following elements for those out there that are considering, you know, that, so, uh, we, if there was a death of a family member, colleague, friend, or an overdose injury has resulted in obviously uh, ongoing medical issues, what are you looking at? What's, what elements fit the case?
2: So so a few things. So the first thing is, let let's talk about a cleaner, uh, the clean case. The clean case is you're dying of the prescriptions that were prescribed to you, Mm -hmm. okay? If we know, if we have that, it's easy to go back, look in the medical records and to find out why you were prescribed, whether you're over-prescribed and whether or not there's signs of addiction there and what is the doctor doing to, you know, either try to taper you off these medicines or help you with this addiction. We also look at cases where a doctor will wrongfully you know, won't wean you off? We'll just cut you off, okay? And so, if you have a person who's on Oxycontin, and oxycodone, mm-hmm. or you know they're taking morphine, and you cut them off, I mean, they, these people are on synthetic heroin, and all of a sudden, much nicer heroin, right? Yeah. What happens is they're going to go to the street, and so we look at cases where if you, if you ha- if we have a, a client who was cut off in June, just straight cut cold turkey. And then he goes to the street, takes heroin, and he dies, we take that case all day long because that is a foreseeable outcome because you really have a duty to start tapering them off. You can't just cut that person off and expect that they're not going to have these withdrawals. turn to the streets. Right.
1: And they turn to the streets. So how often is this occurring? I mean, we know that uh, there's been opioid crisis that's been going on for a number of years now. It keeps getting the publicity and uh, the, the stigma that's been attached to this has obviously grown over the past decade. What's the status now? How bad Matt, of a pandemic is this?
2: Matt, you would think with the national opiate litigation and the, the coverage that it has gotten, that this would be tapering down. Actually, my practice is, is growing. So, doctors it, have not curbed their- behavior. The doctors have not curbed it at all.
1: Because money is the greatest motivator. Money is the greatest motivator. And this is widespread throughout Wide, the country. Throughout the country. So, you're taking these cases in all 50 states.
2: Well, not right now. So, we're taking them right now in Illinois, Ohio- mm-hmm. In Massachusetts and West Virginia. Okay. Okay. So, you know, obviously if there's a case in another state like that, we'll definitely look at it. And if we can find the appropriate co-counsel to help us, we'll absolutely go all in. Okay. So, it's a national practice. It's a national practice. Focus
1: on those four or five states you're yep. in right now. Right. Um, what's the status of this litigation right now? Are these one-off cases, like every case is an individual case? Absolutely. It's going all... towards multi-district litigation?
2: Nope. They're all one-off med cases. That's okay. what's unique about them. Right. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, most lawyers, you look at it and you're like, the guy's a drug addict. He overdosed. And you look back, if you can look back in the records to see the etiology, you know, this was just a person that relied on the doctor and the doctor gave him medicine. And it started this, and it started uh, yeah. this, you know, cycle, this vicious cycle that they couldn't get out of and they don't even understand. You know, we represented, I represented a gentleman uh, who was a president of a bank. Okay. Right, and I would assume this affects all types of demographics. All types of demographics. Sure. And basically, at a non-surgical herniated disc, and the doctors got him so hooked on oxy that he ended up losing his job. Why would you you prescribe oxy for non-surgical herniated disc? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. at all. But that's the whole issue. That's where that's where this lies. The money's the motivator Mm -hmm. because what do you? You know, you have to come back every month to get the refill. Sure. And you got to get that. If you don't get it, you go in the streets. Right. And you can come back, repeat, money, money, money.
1: So most of your clients are family members who are seeking you out yes. after the death of a loved one. Absolutely. That's exactly. Or if there's ongoing issues, what kind of issues would the individual have? If they survived the addiction but have, what type of medical issues are we looking at?
2: You know what? We, we really haven't gone down that road yet. I mean, every single case we have is a death case. Okay. Just- it, Makes and, sense. And, and I think that those cases are coming. Because I think that, you know, this addiction has destroyed lives. And there are a lot of people out there that are still living that have lost everything. And so it really just becomes a little niche where you got to figure out how to take that case to the next level. But I think those are cases too. We just haven't gone there yet because there's just not enough of us doing it. How are they defending these cases? They you know what the interesting part is that so i'm sure you've seen the same firms who are defending these the cases The interesting part is is that they until recently they really didn't understand them and so now they're understanding them we're settling a lot of them okay um we haven't tried one yet okay but we've had some really nice results
1: and you mentioned we were talking some, before that you have a few separate trial right now. yeah yeah okay yeah. and those are possibly going in the next yeah, year could who, be but who knows
2: who knows but yeah. you know what that's where that that's I mean, I mean, that's what puts the hammer to them. That, you know, if they're going to Of course, settle. if you're not
1: willing to try cases, as you know, in your right. profession, there's no bite to the bark. You can bark all day long. No one really give. Exactly. No one cares. Exactly. i keep my language clean for this. It's about to get a little bit off cuff there. So tell me, is there anything more you'd like to tell the audience about these cases, how to get a hold of you?
2: Well, we have a national number. Mm-hmm. It's eight eight three, three od drugs That's a good number. Okay. Catchy. Yeah. Um, so that's anywhere in the country. Uh. It comes right to our call center. Okay. Um. I'll, I'll take every one of those calls and basically I have, you know, we have a little outline as to the questions we ask, you know, obviously it's got to be within the statute of limitations. Um, the death has to occur, um, either by the drug, the drugs that are prescribed or the person has to have been, you know, cut off abruptly and gone right to the street and passed away. Um, and you know, that's the criteria we start to look for. Then we backpedal and get all the records. And once we get the records, there is no good
1: outcome, right? When somebody gets cut off, they're going right to the streets, correct? They're
2: going right to the streets because, I mean, it's a full blown addiction. You have a full blown addiction, right? Got you. Got a good outcome. This is scary.
1: All right. So it's Jim Magazine, uh, Lucas Magazine, and it's called Larson Magazine in
2: Illinois. Yep. It's Larson Magazine in Illinois. And that's the firm, that's the national opiate firm. One more time, the number 833 OD Drugs. How do I find you on the internet? Larson
1: Magazine. That's all. I had. <laughs> it's easy as I said. All right, great. It was a pleasure seeing you as usual. Thank great you. Great trial, me. Lord Jim. You want to tell them a little about your practice before we get off?
2: Well, our practice here in Florida is a personal injury practice, just mm-hmm. like yours, Matt. Yep, you know, surrounding around when cars. you're 15 years now, right? Car crashes. Uh, you know, catastrophic injuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to do a lot of nursing home practice here, and that's kind of died down, correct? The, yeah, I mean, you know when. When the nursing homes really don't have to carry insurance, it makes it very difficult Mm -hmm. to get justice for your clients. Um, We don't really do the opiate litigation here, and it's because doctors really don't have to carry insurance here. Gotcha. You know, and as you well know, you know, litigating med mal cases are expensive, and it's hard to, you know, tell a family. Right, it's hard to tell a family that um, you're really going to walk away with nothing for the loss of your child uh, after, you know, all the expenses. So, you know, that's what, you know, that's kind of where our focus is in these different areas because the doctors carry really good insurance and we're able to get a good recovery for the clients.
1: Excellent. How do we get a hold of you here in the state of Florida?
2: 727-499-9900.
1: Excellent. That's Lucas Magazine. Fantastic firm. There's enough work out there for all of us. So that's why I don't view you as a competitor. And Jim's a fantastic trial lawyer and a good friend. That wraps up another episode of the Dolman Law Group podcast. Thanks again. I really appreciate you, Jim, for being on here. Take care now.
0: This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N law.com or call 866-965-6242.